Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. To wrap up our series called Let's Get Practical, we've been going through the book of James, and we're going to wrap up in chapter 5 today. You know, throughout our lives, we are trained to respond in specific ways in certain situations. When we find ourselves in an emergency, we've been told to call 911, right? Everybody knows this. Call 911. God forbid, if your clothes ever catch on fire, you're told to stop, drop, and roll. If you ever find yourself getting Christian chicken at Chick-fil-A, the employees there are trained to respond by saying, my pleasure, right? My pleasure whenever they hear, thank you. Some of you uh, parents or grandparents, little kids, you've taught your kids to respond whenever they hear a request to do something to say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Now, I haven't necessarily got that nailed down in our household. In fact, I recently, when I asked my seven-year-old Reuben to do something, his response is usually, sha, bro. <laughs> Which I've just taken for slaying his dad. I love you, I respect you, and I will willingly submit to your every request. So, so pretty much the same as yes, sir, which is fantastic. We got that going for us. <laughs> Additionally, right, we are also naturally wired or to respond or react when certain things happen. If, if you're startled, right, we might jump back or scream. If there's something that's flying at you, you put your hands up to block it. If you ever found yourself in the car driving with your kid in the front seat and you have to stop short, every mom I've ever met throws out their arm, right? It's just like this natural instinct, uh, maternal instinct to just protect their kid in that situation. Now, like I said, this morning we're wrapping up this series that we've called Let's Get Practical. And James gives us more practical advice about how we're to respond in certain situations. And so I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles or navigate in your Bible app to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning. And I'll encourage you to follow along as I read verses 13 through 16. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So as James closes his letter... He asks questions about various circumstances someone might be in. Is any of you in trouble? Is anyone happy? Is any of you sick? And of course, any condition or situation mentioned by James in these verses would have been reality for someone receiving his letter. For example, back in James chapter 1, James makes it clear that he knew of plenty of people who were facing persecution and therefore were in trouble. The Greek word for trouble that is used by James in verse 13 means to suffer misfortune. And so this morning, I can't help but wonder how many of you are in trouble? How many of you are experiencing some kind of misfortune? 
Now, for clarity, having to host family on Thanksgiving Day is not the misfortune I'm talking about, all right? (laughs) The trouble or misfortune you may be experiencing is having to carry the weight of a child who's being bullied at school or struggling to make friends. Maybe the trouble you're facing is a boss that's ungrateful, you have a soul-crushing job, or you have coworkers or neighbors who just are antagonistic. It could be the trouble you're in has to deal with broken relationships with a spouse, with a coworker, with a friend, with a child. James goes on to address those who are happy. However, he is not referring to happiness that is dependent upon our circumstances. Dwight Schrute, a principal character in the TV show The Office, created a word for when everything is going well in your life. He called it Perfektenschlag, right? Perfektenschlag, and and he can explain it better than I can, so check this out. Dwight, I have exciting news for you. What? I think you're going to like it. You can't tantalize me. Oh, maybe I can. I got an email from corporate that told me okay. <clears throat> that you got a promotion. Right? I mean, that's not the kind of thing you want to read quietly at your desk. If you make me head of sales one more time, I swear. No, this is legit. You will be assembling a team to go to Tallahassee for three weeks to develop and launch a chain of Sabre stores. Yes! 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 Oh, those yes. Are new ones. yes! 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 <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The Schrutes have a word for when everything in a man's life comes together perfectly. Perfect in schlag. <laughs> right now, I'm in it. I finally get a chance to prove myself to corporate. I am assembling a competent team. I am likely a father. I am so deep inside of perfect in schlag right now. And just to be clear, there is a second definition, perfect pork anus, which I don't mean. Dwight Schrute, nobody says it like he does. <laughs> now, the happiness that comes from Perfektenschlag is not what James had in mind in verse 13. Rather, as one commentator writes, James is referring to a deeply rooted happiness, a contentment of the heart. He's referring to the believer who can be in good spirits even when conditions are difficult. See, James knew that some of the recipients of his letter were experiencing this kind of happiness that's based on contentment. And so with that definition in mind, how many of you are experiencing happiness? Life may not be perfect, but you're still experiencing joy. Finally, James addresses those who are sick. In verse 14, James uses the Greek word astheneo for sick, which has a wide range of meanings having to do with any kind of weakness. In the New Testament, there are instances in which this word is used to describe someone who is sick physically. However, there are also times when this word is used to refer to someone who is experiencing a spiritual, ethical, emotional, or moral weakness. And due to the broad sense of the word, there's debate amongst scholars as to what specific type of illness James is referring to. Is the sickness physical, spiritual, or some combination of the two? And while there is compelling support for both perspectives, of greater importance is James' instructions to those who are sick, which we'll discuss in just a bit. 
And so, like some of the recipients of James' letter, how many of you this morning are sick? Whether that be physically, spiritually, or some combination of the two. How many of you are struggling with some kind of illness? Now, perhaps you don't identify with those who are in trouble and happy or sick. And if not, no worries. Because to this list of trouble and happy and sick, James could have easily added tired, frustrated, worn out, at the end of your rope, lacking purpose, lonely, hurt, broken, overjoyed, hopeful, excited. And perhaps you resonate with something I just mentioned. But even if you don't, then what are you experiencing? What are you feeling? What's going on in your life that you would add to the list? Because I think James could have added any condition because his call to action would have remained the same. His practical advice to the recipients of his letter and to us wouldn't have changed. And what is it that he's calling us to do? In essence, he's calling us to turn to God. To turn to God. In verse 13, James, write, or James says that those who are in trouble should respond to their misfortune by praying to God. And I got to wonder, like, how did the original recipients of this letter respond when they heard James' instructions? Because we, we have to remember their context. Some of them were being persecuted for their faith. They were suffering in significant ways. And back in James chapter 1, verse 2, right at the beginning of this series, perhaps you remember, he already told them, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And now as he wraps up his letter, his practical advice to them as they respond to being in trouble is to simply pray. And I, I can't help but think, were the original recipients thinking, this guy's nuts. He has no grip on reality. We are going through significant things in our life. And his practical advice to us is consider it pure joy and pray. Like this guy doesn't get it. And of course, we can't know for sure how they would have responded to James' instructions. But I think that dismissive response is a real possibility. Because that's how often you and I respond as well. You see, when we go through seasons of trouble or misfortune, many of us are looking for something beyond prayer as a way to navigate the difficult and painful season we're in. And that's not to say we don't pray or that we're unwilling to pray. But when someone's advice to us is to respond to our difficult circumstances by praying— we might respond with the words or thoughts that are something along the lines of, yeah, yeah, for sure, I I'm going to pray, but what should I really do? What can I do that's actually going to make a difference? And when these words come out of our mouths or when these thoughts cross through our mind, it reveals that our perspective on prayer, it's, it's not what it should be. When we find ourselves in trouble, See, prayer is not a response. It's the response. One, of the, one commentator writes, in, in times of distress, 
the best recourse is to pray. And David, a prominent figure in the Old Testament, he knew this to be true. And when he found himself in trouble, his primary response was to turn to God in prayer. And we see evidence of this throughout the book of Psalms. I want to check out one such instance in Psalm 18. But before I read these verses, it's important to know that David wrote these words in response to a time when King Saul was trying to hunt David down in order to kill him. So I think it's fair to say he's experiencing or suffering misfortune. And yet this is what he writes. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. See, when we find ourselves in trouble, our response should be similar to David's. We should call to the Lord. We should cry out to God for help because that is what will actually make a difference. See, prayer is not a trivial response. It's something that we should just check off as, you know, part of our checkbox as Christians. In times of trouble, James calls us to pray because God hears us. We just read in Psalm 18, 6, from his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And just as David heard, God heard David's cry for help, he will hear us as well. David's words in Psalm 9 provide further reason for us to respond to our times of trouble by going to God in prayer. David writes, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. See, in David's mind, there was nowhere else to turn in times of trouble because he understood that God is a source of strength and protection who would never leave him out to dry. Psalm 46.1 reiterates the same message. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So I think we have to ask ourselves a question. Do, do I share David's perspective on God and prayer? Do I turn to God as a stronghold in times of trouble? And, and I'm confident that many of you do. You've learned to turn to God when everything hits the fan and to rely on him as a source of strength, as an anchor in the storm. But I also know there's plenty of us who have work to do when it comes to turning to God when we find ourselves in trouble. Because in those instances, we respond by working longer hours, drinking a little too much, turning to other substances, overindulging in food, giving in to crippling worry. And while these may be common ways to respond or even acceptable coping mechanisms in the world's eyes as believers, we know that failing to turn to God in prayer, especially in times of trouble, means that we're missing a massive opportunity to demonstrate our faith in God and rely on him to carry us through whatever trouble we're experiencing. In verse 13, James says that those who are happy, again, meaning content despite our circumstances, should respond by singing 
songs of praise. In other words, he's calling us to express our praise and gratitude in all seasons and all circumstances. And this same message is shared by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And again, knowing the context of James' original recipients, their life is hard. They're experiencing persecution. I can't help but think it must have been very difficult for them to apply James' instructions to their lives. Because I don't know about you, but when everything is going well in my life, when I'm in the center of perfectenschlag like Dwight Schrute, it's a lot easier for me to sing God's praises. When my kids are doing well, God, thank you for your goodness. Right? When I have all the funds I need to pay the bills on time, God, thank you for your provision. When the Chicago Bears win a game, God, you are a miracle worker. <laughs> and your grace is never ending. Right? I mean, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. But if I'm being real, that gets a lot more challenging when life is difficult and painful and overwhelming. Because naturally, my desire is for everything to go well in my life all the time. But that's not how life works, does it? In fact, Jesus guaranteed just the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. But as one commentator writes, James wants us to remember that God desires and deserves our prayers and praise in both the difficult and pleasant times. And the reason that we're able to sing his praises in all circumstances and in all seasons is not because we turn a blind eye to our problems or pretend they don't exist. See, I don't think those in the early church who were suffering persecution were able to be like, no, no, that's not happening. No one's trying to kill me for what I believe. They weren't going to be able to turn that off. And in the same way, we can also acknowledge the hardships that we face and the circumstances that make life difficult. But what allows us to sing God's praises in every season is the fact that we have real faith. Confidence that God is who he says he is. And confidence that he will do everything he's promised to do. And when we have that kind of faith, we can still lament our circumstances and ask questions of God, but also sing songs of praise because we know that God is still faithful and loving and trustworthy and with us every step of the way. One of our values here at LifePoint is that we embrace joy and the adventure of following Jesus. And what we've been talking about for the last few minutes explains what this value is all about. We recognize that life is an adventure full of ups and downs, but regardless of our circumstances, our relationship with Jesus is the filter through which we see our lives. And it's a relationship with him that allows us to experience the full and abundant life, what Jesus came to give. 
And this truth is what carries us through whatever life throws at us, and it's the reason that we can experience joy and praise God, just like James instructs us to do. In James chapter 5, verse 14, James says that those who are sick should respond by calling the elders to pray over them and anoint them with oil. Now again, before we unpack what these verses mean, we have to keep in mind that there's debate amongst scholars about what type of sickness James is referring to. Is it physical, is it spiritual, or some combination of the two? Now this idea of having someone pray over someone else, like James talks about in verse 14, it's not a foreign concept to us. In fact, we have members of our prayer team who are usually on either side of the stage at the end of every service to pray for our church family. And if you've been in a life group or one of our small groups here at the church, it's likely that you've spent time praying for other members of that group. And hopefully we're all in the habit of praying for other people, especially when they're sick or going through a challenging season. This isn't unfamiliar to us. However, anointing someone with oil is a a practice that maybe we're not quite as familiar with, but it was fairly common in biblical times. Now, anointing someone with oil was done for various reasons throughout Scripture. At times, the use of oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence or supernatural empowerment. It was used to mark the inauguration of someone for a specific office that was considered holy by God. And in this particular instance in James chapter 5, it was used because it was thought to have some kind of medicinal value. But as one commentator writes, whatever the precise definition and meaning of the act of anointing, it's the prayer offered in faith, not the anointing, that makes the sick person well. In other words, the emphasis ought to fall on prayer and not the practice of anointing with oil. Now, after instructing those who are sick to call the church leaders to pray, the focus shifts in verse 15 to the result of the elder's prayer for the sick individual. And James writes that the sick person will be made well. The Lord will raise them up and their sins will be forgiven. That sounds like really positive results to me. But the challenge for us, again, is determining the type of sickness that James is referring to because that will affect our interpretation of this passage. You see, taking that face value, verse 15 makes it sound like healing is guaranteed. As long as the prayer is offered in faith, The prayer of the sick person will be made well. But we can't ignore that last sentence in verse 15, which says, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And again, both physical and spiritual healing can happen. But the word James uses here is not the medical term for healing. One commentator writes that the term he uses means made whole and forgiven. And so when we anoint with oil and pray for healing, we should anticipate some kind of response for God. Of course, we know that prayers for healing depends on so many factors. But ultimately, spiritual wholeness should be our highest desire. Because while God may or may not bring about physical healing, he will always bring wholeness and offer forgiveness. And so if God's ultimate desire for us is to be right with him and experience forgiveness for sins, then it makes sense why James instructs us to also confess our sins to each other and pray for each other that we may be healed, which is all the more reason to make sure that we are in community with others in our church family. 
Now, to each condition addressed by James in this passage, those who are in trouble or happy or sick, his instructions are essentially the same. Turn to God. And I'm sure he didn't mean to oversimplify any situation or any condition, but to give a practical reminder that our response in any and every situation should be to turn to God. Pray to God. Praise God. Seek out others within the faith community for support and encouragement and prayer. And why is it that James recommended this course of action for us? We find the answer in the latter half of verse 16, which says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In other words, prayer works. Right? Turning to God works. It makes a difference because we're relying on God to do what only he can do. And James provides evidence of this in verses 17 and 18. He writes, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And by saying that Elijah was a man just like us, James is emphasizing that the miracles were the work of God and not Elijah. He was a man just like you and me. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, God is the one who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. See, Elijah simply prayed in faith. And that's the same calling James gives to us in any and every situation. Turn to God. Now, for those of you in this room who are, who are followers of Jesus, maybe you've been doing the Jesus thing for decades. Or even if it's been just a short season of time, I can't imagine that James' instructions to us in chapter 5 come as a surprise, right? I mean, being told to go to God in prayer and worship God through song, and lean on others in the faith community. I mean, these aren't exactly shocking statements if you're a follower of Jesus. We've come to expect these types of commands, these types of instructions. And so when it comes to applying this message to our lives, I mean, the challenge isn't knowing what to do. James clearly lays that out for us. Of course, it's far more difficult to actually apply scripture to our lives. Earlier in the book of James, he stresses the importance of application. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And while we all struggle with this to varying degrees, I believe that most of us in this room have a desire to apply God's word. And my hope is that we eventually get around to doing it. But as we wrap up our time together this morning, my primary challenge to us is to apply God's word to our lives quickly. To do it quickly. You see, this is a sign of spiritual maturity. As we grow in our faith, the time it takes for us to turn to God, no matter the circumstance we're facing, should be less and less and less. Meaning until we turn to God instantaneously when we encounter some kind of challenge or struggle or whatever the case may be, we have more work to do. 
until turning to God becomes our default response, there's more growing to do. And so what does it look like for you to turn to God right now? Or later this afternoon? Or tomorrow? Or later this week? And for some of us this morning, your immediate application of this message is to come forward at the end of the service and let somebody on our prayer team pray for you. Because in the church, we, we have this habit of like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want anybody to see I'm struggling. I, I need to make sure that, man, I, I, I want to be clean and, and polished. I don't want to let anybody else know what's going on in my life. And how, and how challenging things really are. And for some of us this morning, you need to stop caring about what others might think. Humble yourself and, and simply let somebody pray for you. Because you've been trying to figure it out on your own for a while. And, and it's been tough. And God calls us to lean on the church family. Or find somebody else in your life that you trust and, and that you can be real with. You know, hey, I'm struggling. And I would love for you to come alongside me and, and pray with me as I'm going through this. For others, you, you need to develop the habit of going to God in prayer. And for you, it could be as simple as setting a reminder on your phone that goes off daily. It's just a point in time where you can say, okay, yep, I need to go to God in prayer. I need to spend some time with him. And then there's some of us, and this one's for me, where we need to practice responding to our circumstances by praising God, no matter how good or bad they may be. And maybe that starts by intentionally listening to more worship music throughout the week in an effort to praise God for who he is and what he's done to remind yourself that he's trustworthy, he's faithful, he's good. He will not leave you out to dry. He's a stronghold, our anchor, a refuge in times of trouble. And we need to remind ourselves of that because we forget so quickly. As this series comes to a close, my hope and prayer is that all of us will become more and more like Jesus as we become doers of the word and live out the practical advice that James has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we need you. God, your word tells us how to live our lives. It tells us how to respond in certain situations. God, and, and so often we neglect what you tell us to do. And we try our own way. We do things the way we want to do it. God, and, and you are always ready and willing and present when we turn to you. God, that's what you desire for each and every one of us. You want us to come to you because you're there for us. God, and there's, there's power in that. God, help us to do, to do just that, to humble ourselves and, and submit 
to your will and to your way. And we pray all this in your son's name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.